This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's mental health and body image advocate, former D1 college athlete, TED Talk speaker, and host of Real Pod, Victoria Garrick. I am so excited. I've been on this for a year. We have so much in common playing division one sports. We both struggled with depression and eating disorders. And Victoria is on an authenticity movement on social media. She's busting through all of the stigmas of mental health and helping women to find self-worth, self-love, and not fall into the traps of social media. It's all filters and smoke and mirrors. I adore her authenticity and vulnerability. She shared her story while she was still in it. I cannot wait to have this conversation. Here's my episode with Victoria Garrick. Hi. Hi. How are you? Nice to meet you finally. It is so nice to meet you finally. I was just like geeking out doing the intro. Like (gasps) you don't understand the mad respect that I have for you Um, for sharing your story while still in it. Because I shared mine like way like remove almost 20 years. I shared my like college struggle, eating disorders in it. People are like, Oh my God, you're so brave to tell your story, but it's almost safer to tell it after the fact you gave a Ted talk while you were still in it. And I am just like, (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious. When I think back on it, I, it's so everything is like a blur, you know, when you look back, but it is really wild when I think about like what I said with like two years of college ball left. <laughs> yes. But you know, I just, that's just, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. And I think regardless of when it's badass for anyone to share what they've been through. I want to start with just like talking about the girl growing up that just wanted to play volleyball at USC. Like, were you always kind of driven perfectionist kind of personality or did that come on? Like as you got into competitive sports, when it comes to being like a quote unquote perfectionist, I wouldn't say I'm a traditional one where like, I I never had a 4.0. I never was like doing all the extracurricular. Like I wasn't type a in that sense. I had friends who were like that. And I, I know what that is. I was more just, if I decide I want to do something, I want to be the best at it. So like, I wasn't dying to have a 4.0 and like, I mean, that just wasn't me, but if I wanted to make a volleyball team or I wanted to be a, you know, beat someone out or, you know, that's when I was like, well, then I want to be the best and I want to be successful at this. So that was kind of more where my, my perfectionism and like my winning streak is a little bit different than like how people traditionally view it. Um, and when I think back on what made me that way, you know, I just have always had this like innate trait about myself that is really driven and is outgoing and has a lot of confidence. Um, and that has just been something I feel like I've always had that seed. I mean, my parents are the best parents in the world. And I always think back on like my mom, what I, when I think about what my mom taught me as a kid, it was, if you want something, make it happen. Like she was just big on, well, work hard, call them, like find time to do it. Like she was like, if you want something, you have to like attempt to be the best or put yourself in a position to have that thing. And then my dad was like the, you can do anything you want to do voice. So I think those two combined um, and naturally being very outgoing really helped me, you know, become someone who 
believed she could do anything. Yeah. I, I have to say, like, when you say you want something, you go get it and you keep going. That's why you're here because six months ago it was a no. And now you're here. And I got you and Katie Couric because I just <gasps> didn't go away. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. <laughs> I am also driven and obsessed on what I'm focused on. Were you first born by chance? I was a middle child. Okay. I, Cause I feel like, so when you were describing, I didn't, didn't always need to have a 4.0. I'm like, I did. I had all of this like stress and I had to be the best. And I'm the oldest of four girls. All four of us played division one soccer in college. Nobody stressed it. I feel like my sisters before like conditioning would like go for a run because the season was about to start and maybe sounded like a good thing to do. I trained all year. Like I couldn't gain weight. I was, I just was obsessive with it. And I wondered like, when you talk about volleyball was life volleyball, like for me, soccer was my value. And I don't know when that became at what I, what I fixated on, what was my worth? I had a lot of things going for me in high school. Nothing mattered except like I played defense. Did they score on us in soccer? And I don't know when you started like pouring everything into volleyball, why do you think that became like your worth and your value? And like you said, you didn't quit when you were struggling because volleyball is life. Why does it become that way? Well, I didn't start struggling until college um, and something I want to just acknowledge quickly back on the thing I said about like making it happen yeah. now as an adult with a lot more knowledge and, you know, I've had a, a lot of conversations. I've learned a lot. I can look back and recognize like the privilege of being able to go to the volleyball club I wanted and to have a private lesson. Like I put the time in and I worked hard, but I also, I also had the opportunities and it was like easy for me to do that. Um, so I just wanted to add that, that note on that privilege, but, um, talking about, you know, it becoming worth for me, I don't know if it was that I felt like that was my worth or my value. It was more so, Actually, I guess it is. I was going to say, who am I without this thing? Which I guess that, <laughs> so is, that does kinda. mean I thought it was, I did think it was my worth. Um, but it's weird because like, I definitely knew like, oh, I'm good at um, talking to people and I'm good at being on camera. Like I knew I had skills in other areas. I think so much of my identity was associated with the sport that even if I believed I could do other things, I don't it was just, it would just be scary to think about restarting and having a different story you tell about yourself and something that has been huge in my whole journey of understanding things has been this inner dialogue, right? The way we talk about ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves about who we are, you know, I'm like working on my website and I'm rewriting my bio and it's like, Victoria Garrick is an X, Y, Z. Of course, you know, we write it for ourselves. I'm not paying someone to write that. I'm writing it. <laughs> but as I'm writing it, I'm like, I'm confused. So I'm going to try to box myself down to like sentences and accomplishments and things like that's not really who I am. You know, and then again, this existential crisis of we can't define anyone. We just are beings, you know, yes. <laughs> and I go, like way off the wagon. But yes. um, so, I mean, why I think it becomes that way because, you know, that's the story I've been told about myself since I came out the womb. You're athletic, you are driven, and then you start playing volleyball. You're the volleyball player. You're the ball. And then I go to USC. Everyone, you're the USC volleyball player. I mean, yeah. getting rid of that tagline was hard. And not to say getting rid like I didn't want it, but not right. I was I wasn't that anymore. Oh my and god. <laughs> yes. People only wanted that from me. Like anything I posted or did that wasn't USC volleyball post-graduating just never performed as well. And I really struggled with 
figuring out how are people going to stay interested in me and how can I provide value and how can I be entertaining and how can I do all these things? But I'm no longer on the USC volleyball team anymore. Yes. When I lost my identity and we can talk about this. So both of us were like preferred walk-ons. My coach, I feel like didn't have a plan for me. Like I, I was signing somewhere else at the last second I ended up like on his team and he was like, great, but didn't really have a plan. And I'm working so hard and I wasn't playing. And this is where we're different. You like made a plan for yourself. You were like, I'm going to USC. You walk on, you're a four-year starter. You win the championship. Like you made a plan for yourself and us being in the same situation, like, and throwing everything into sport. I wonder like if you were in a position where you trained and you're performing in practices and you weren't seeing playing time, do you think that that would have like mentally, like I, in the middle of my sophomore year, I quit. Cause I was like, this is bullshit. I, I never go in. I'm working so hard. And I was like back to back state champion in high school. And I wasn't used to not playing and I didn't like it. And I quit. And then my whole entire like soccer identity was gone. Depression, eating disorders, everything. But I quit like almost like on a whim, just not because it wasn't fair. And I wasn't playing. And I wonder, I mean, you made a plan for yourself and you made it onto his team and you started as a freshman. Had you not played, do you think that would have mentally, especially like watching your Ted talk and all the, like when you're doing your day and I have to be here and I have to be here and you do all this stuff. And then the, the sport you love and you don't even play in the games, you travel, you go to right. Michigan for the weekend. Like, can you even like, I think we have similar personalities. Like I, I just quit and I, I don't know. <laughs> I fully hear you. And I respect that you decided it was time to move forward. Right. Whatever it is for someone. And, and looking back, I mean, if I wasn't playing, it would have been a huge difference and I didn't have that experience. So I don't, I mean, of course everyone likes to think, Oh, I would have been a team sport. Um, no. <laughs> I, I mean, even when I was playing, I did not think I would do four years. I mean, I was like you said, I was starting and I was playing. And I remember vividly, we were stretching one morning in the gym and I looked around at all the girls in my recruiting class being like, okay, thinking in my head, you know, I was just bored. I was like, okay, you're not going to be here senior year. There's no way you're, you'll, you'll be here. You won't. I'm like, oh, I, hell no, I'm not going to be here. Like, I did not think I would do four years and I was playing. So wow. I mean, yeah, if I wasn't getting playing time, if I didn't get to have those moments and the, you know, uh, be a part of the wins and be a part of the team, it would have been different. I did get lucky in the sense of the team dynamic and what was needed my freshman year. Um, so that is something that, you know, I think did play a big role in how things worked out for me because I remember like when I was in the recruiting process, the coach told me like, we've got a handful of people in your position, like, you know, basically setting the tone for like, you're one of many. Are you sure you want to come here? And I was like, yes, I I'd still, this is the team I want to be on. Um, and like two to three girls quit the year before I came and the outside hitter who uh, usually at, in a division one volleyball team, your two outside hitters, they play all the way around. So oh. they're never getting taken out of the court. My freshman year, the other defensive specialist had quit. So there was not, the, I was the only one in addition to the other girl who was the libero and the outside hitter was a freshman and she didn't have the skill yet to play all the way around. So she needed a DS. Wow. So here we're in a position where the other outside is a freshman, right? I mean, you, you take me in two years prior, one year prior, they have junior, senior, upperclassmen hitters who they're not coming out of the game. Yeah. I mean, 
the fact that I had no one to compete with really, um, besides the other girl, but they needed two of us to play. Um, and the outside, I mean, so that was very set up for me to succeed. Like even when I did shit the bed and I was anxious and I did miss make mistakes, they literally didn't have an option to like, not <laughs> me in. like I was still me anxious was still a better solution than, you know, some of the other people on the bench. So, so that worked out. And then my sophomore year, they brought in, you know, the, the so sophomore year, there was way more going on. I remember heading into sophomore year, like, oh my God, freshman year, like we won the Pac-12 championship. I played every game. Like that was a dream. That was lucky. Like I got lucky, but then sophomore year, you know, the experience I had under my belt and having done it for a year, I was able to hold my own and beat out the other girl on scholarship and keep finding my way on the court, even with better hitters. So, you know, that freshman year, the stars really did align. Did I work my ass off? Hell yes. Yeah. But it was also a nice situation. What made it so hard about sophomore year then? Cause I remember you saying like, that was the hardest year. And that was the year you gave your Ted talk. And I was like, that's the, I quit in the middle of my sophomore season. I was like, maybe there's like a correlation there. Like you give it a year and then you're like, like it just, why was it so hard for you sophomore year? Other things going on or. Well, freshman year, I was just riddled with anxiety. Like the whole season, I was just building on this performance anxiety, just getting worse and worse. Like, you know, afraid to go on the court, crying before games, like hands shaking while yeah. I'm out there. You know, it's like as much as I, as much as you want to play, like it's this weird thing where I'm like, I don't want to be on the court. I don't want to make mistakes. I'm not good enough. I hate what happens to me in my head when I'm out here, yeah. but I also don't want to be on the bench. You know, it's this weird <laughs> rope you walk. Yeah. Um, so freshman year, I had all this anxiety. By the time I was a sophomore, it just manifested itself as like a wave of depression of just, I can't, I don't have the energy to, to worry. Like it's like so much worry and fear and panic that you eventually shift to like a numb state where you just don't feel. Yeah, um, and yes. so that was, that was my sophomore year. Um, I really just felt like I didn't care about anything. I didn't care about life. I didn't care what happened. Like I just did not care in the worst way. Yeah. Is that when the binge eating started? Um, the binge eating was at its worst, um, like heading into my sophomore year, summer before, but mm. no freshman year I was binge eating. Like I, I had, you're going to learn. I had so many problems. Like it's hard for me to even talk about them. Like Same. I'll get to the end of a story and someone's like, wait, but when did the eaters run? Like, oh, I'm like, I had I was there. Victoria, I'm I love like, them. I accept I was bulimic. I went one more step. I, I, all of it. I get it. I well, anxiety. So, so bulimia I is interesting because I have like a fear of throwing up. I was going to yeah, ask I, you when you talk about being in like a blackout state and eating all the things, but then I had to get it out immediately. And I like had written down to ask you about that. And I was like, why did it never turn into you were afraid to throw up? Yes, I was. I actually did attempt it once vividly in my memory. Like I remembered this moment and I felt like I was above my body watching me do this thing in the bathroom. Like who the fuck am I? Like what yeah. has happened to me? Like, first of all, I hate growing up. Like I've always had a fear. Like when I had a flu in, in fifth grade and I threw up, I would start crying. Cause I just, I don't know something about 
not being able, it's going the wrong way. You know, I just, it freaks me out. It's like a phobia. It's going um, the wrong way. Yes. So, you know, but then this one moment, like I, I was at such a place where I, I was disgusted with the way I looked and with how I was eating that I tried. And I just, like, I started to cry. Like, you know, I was like, that's not for me. But then yeah. I felt stuck because I was like, there's no way for me to, you know, fix the binging because I can't do that. So then it would, it just led to like more restriction. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, my freshman year, it was, you know, trying to go on a diet, which crank out my calories. Like I always did, but I was so hungry that like my calorie counting, like it didn't compute what I used to do in high school to like drop a few pounds just didn't work because I was working out more. I was more hungry and you know, that kind of just started the cycle. And then the binging came as a coping mechanism for my stress. Um, and as a way to like feel safe and feel in control and feel like I could just eat. (laughs) Same. Did you ever consider now that I know that it was your freshman year, because you came out with everything else in your Ted talk and like, this is what I'm dealing with, like disclosing that or and if not, like what point made you say something to your mom? No, I was mortified about the binge eating. Same. I yeah, did not want anyone to know. Like, yeah. I mean, when people, t- when I, now I'm like, obviously so open and with time, like you get desensitized and you're okay to talk about things. But whenever I speak or I talk with people about, you know, body image and and eating disorders, I'll say like, I literally gave a Ted talk and didn't admit this. I was able to admit like way scarier things about depression and, you know, that people might think they never want to tell anyone, but the binge eating. Oh no. Like no one would know that because I was so embarrassed. I felt so much shame around how I was eating the way that it actually came out was, um, kind of like, again, I I wasn't ready. Um, I wrote an article on body image. I was fine to talk about feeling insecure and like the stress to be perfect and body image issues in general, but diving into like my actual relationship with food and what was going on there. I, I wasn't ready to do that. However, I got, you know, as the media and things started to pick up a magazine interviewed me. Um, and you know, I showed up and it was this glamorous day on set and you know, I sat there and I had this conversation with one woman for, for an hour while they filmed, you know, to, to pull together like a two to three minute clip. And I'm just, I can't help the, how freaking like when my brand is realness, that's who I am. Yes. Like I don't, I just, I speak when the Trader Joe's clerk says, how's your day going? I'm not like, fine. Thanks. I'm like, well, actually, you know, <laughs> this happened yesterday. You know, I, I just sleep that, that well. And I, yeah, they're <laughs> like, I'm, okay. an, I'm an oversharer. <laughs> so I, I sit there and we're getting to know each other and I kind of just speak and they pull this video of, of course, only the three minutes where I'm talking about binging and emotional eating. And they have put on this B, they overthrow this B roll of a hand reaching for pizza and fries. Like I just felt so exploited. Oh. I felt embarrassed. I didn't post it. I didn't share it. However, oh. it was like a very well-known media source. So thousands of people saw it anyways. Wow. And they came to my Instagram messaging me, like, are you the girl from this video? Like I, this is my problem too. Like I'm also yes. a binge eater. And so it was through all of the people who came to me saying, this is me too, that I then got the confidence to speak about that as well, because I knew on the other side, people would be receptive. Yes. Mine was kind of pulled out of me too. Sophomore year, I just quit. I remember we played at Michigan State. My mom drove up for the game. I walked across the field afterwards and I said, I'm done. And the next day I went and met my coach. I gave all my stuff and I was like, this isn't fair. It's going to be fine. 
And then I went back to the soccer house where I lived and they would like go to practice and go to games. And I was like, that's when I realized like how much it was like, what are you now? Like, I couldn't go to the athlete building to work out anymore. I had to go to the student rec and people were like, Oh, but like you get that. Like it was, oh, such, yeah. it did something to me. And then they would go on their trips and I would just, I, it first started out, like I was bored, maybe like what you're saying too, to, I had something to control when everything else was out of control, but I would just eat everything, throw up. And then I would hide it. I hid it from the girls that I, that were in the house. It's, and then it started like, because I was eating everything, I feel like bulimia started to kind of like, I have to throw up cause I'm eating so much, but what people don't understand about bulimia, it doesn't make you skinny. It makes you bloated and puffy and you throw off all your hormones when you're purging. So I looked like, like I was in a fat suit of myself. So no one, I'm sure my girls in my house weren't thinking eating disorder. Cause I looked nothing like I was having an eating disorder. I was bigger. Anyway, I, I struggled for like 10 years. Then I did what I thought women were supposed to do, which was like calories in versus calories out. I ran on the treadmill seven days a week, only ate salads, never snacked. And I was 20 pounds heavier than I am now. So after I had my kids, I realized like, I didn't have time to be in the gym all the time. And I, I just kind of got it together at 37 and I weigh like I weigh less. I'm stronger. I lift now. I only work out like three days a week. And I wanted to write a book for a woman. That's kind of like, Oh, it's too late. I have kids now. It's not about me anymore. That was my goal. I, and I was going to call it to the woman working out and not seeing results. So I'm writing this book. I get it writing coach. And she was just like very honest. And she's like, why would anybody listen to you? And I'm like on the, on the cover, I have like abs. And she's like, are you a nutritionist? Are you a uh, personal trainer? I was like, no, I just figured something out. And she's like, but you're not, why would anyone listen to you? Like, what's your story? And I was like, well, I'm not ready. I, I don't really, I just want to help women. And I wouldn't go there. And I wouldn't even tell her. And she's like, you need to tell your story. So you have some sort of credibility. And why would anybody listen to you if they don't know what you've been through? And I kept saying no. And then one day I wrote it. And it was the first time I ever like acknowledged like my bulimia. I was anorexic in high school. And when I wrote it, nobody had even read it yet. It was out and I felt lighter and I felt like I could breathe and I sent it to her and she picked up the phone and she goes, this is your book. So I reworked everything. I shared and became squats and margaritas, a journey to finding balance. And I shared everything. And when it came out, those messages that you're talking about where women are like me too. And you're the first person I've ever told my husband doesn't even, I'm getting goosebumps right now. I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And me saying it and being vulnerable made this little community. Mine's little, yours is huge, but like of women that you see yourself in each other. And it's like your whole authenticity, real post. I could not love it anymore. And I'm 40. Like I, if I could have figured this out and been so self-aware like when you figured it out, you're going to have your wedding soon as a self-aware, non-psychotic person. When I got married and I was in my mess, like I was in two a days, sometimes three a days. I was eating this random soup that I found and like, so just obsessed and stressed to have figured this out when you have, and to share this message. Now you're going to be able to enjoy the rest of your life. That's why I care so much about sharing the message is because I mean, there's just so much to think about and life to live that isn't food and your body when you break free from that. And I know what it's like to think, you know, people listening or whatever think, I'm never not going to think about food. I'm never not going to think about the calories. I'm never not going to, you know, dislike my body when I look in the mirror. But it is possible. And I remember reading, you know, when I was trying to work on everything, 
you know, in this book I read by Janine Roth, it was about a woman, or I think it was, she was writing about herself, how she forgot someone gave her a box of chocolates and then she forgot the chocolates. And a month later she found them and they were stale. And I just was like, yeah, right. You give me a box of chocolates. I'm eating it the second you shut the door and I'm alone. And, (laughs) and then, you know, that happens to me. I forget that I have things and I like, it's just, it's so great. And I want other people to have that kind of relationship with food. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. For so long, I would just have a glass of wine or two before bed and I would fall asleep fine. But a couple hours later, I'd be wide awake. And that's because wine has sugar. Make the transition to tequila. Tequila has no sugar, no carbs. It's gluten free. And I just found a tequila that is additive free, a clean spirit called Inspiro Tequila that was developed by a woman. It's crafted by women and every step from developing the taste profile to getting it on the shelves. It's all women and they support other women. Right now they're giving my listeners 10% off at InspiroTequila.com with promo code Margaritas10. That's Margaritas and the number 10 at InspiroTequila.com. It's smooth. You can sip it on the rocks or in a skinny margarita. And right now you can get it for 10% off at InspiroTequila.com. Now back to squats and margaritas. So, I need you to help me again on the spirit of being um, authentic and vulnerable. I had an eating disorder. Um, I don't know if, are you familiar with Project Heal? They like fund. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So I had the CEO of Project Heal on my show and it was just like this. <laughs> We're talking and I caught myself just a second ago saying it to you. I was like, I just started um, listening to my body and I do, I practice mindful eating and I listen to my body. I eat when I'm hungry now after living, starving, I stop when I'm satisfied. I don't eat to the point of being sick. And I'm talking about it. And I said something and I was like, and it's so funny now I lost, I'm 20 pounds lighter. And she got going, she was like making these faces. And then I was like, what is that? And she's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not going to diagnose you. And I was like, I want, I am here for it. Diagnose me. If this is going to help someone, I never got treatment. And the only reason is the shame. I didn't want anyone to know what I was doing. So I, if I had to get treatment, people would know about my bulimia. So it wasn't happening. I just stopped doing it and was like, I'm healed. (laughs) I don't throw up my food anymore. And she's like, your language is very fat phobic. Like after a physical, I just have, it's, it's funny that you say that because when you said fat suit, I had the same thought. Did you? <laughs> I was like, Ooh, that's not something I know. You should say. I look like a puffed out. I know I feel my best when I'm in my best physical body, but now I achieve a strong, it's not a skinny body strength and a strong physical body by taking care of myself and not restricting and not binging and not over exercising and listening to my body. So I, I do it in a healthy way, but it is for a physical ideal because I feel better when I'm in my best physical body. When did it stop being about a physical body for you when you knew like you were healed and, and did it take treatment? Cause did you even go to treatment? So yeah. Okay. So, so much. Do you need to like take notes on everything that I just asked you. That's fine. No, no, no. I think I'll be good. Um, okay. So no, I did not go to treatment. Um, And honestly, that is something that I feel like with people who've struggled with food or had eating disorders, um, can be something that makes people feel really invalidated in their issue. Like, Oh, if I didn't go to treatment or if I didn't have it like as bad, like, does that not mean I had eating disorder? I had a struggle. And it's like, Mm -mm. I just say, no, I didn't go. And my story is different. And I don't think people are going to be able to, you know, have the healing journey or, um, 
they might not be able to like not flip a switch, but you know, change their paths in the way that I did. And everyone's story is different the same way that like, I'm not comparing myself to the recovery of someone else. Um, so to, to what you said before about the fat phobic remarks or like, you know, that desire to still care about your appearance, yeah. like, and I know I'm younger than you, so I, I don't want to sound condescending, but like, no. <laughs> give yourself grace. Like, you know, you've, you've been, especially you being older than me, like you were raised in a world where like everything was fat phobic, everything was, you need to be smaller, you need to be thinner. And like people who are, you know, in larger bodies must be lazy and they have no self-worth and they're not going to have a good life. Like everything I grew up with that. And you grew up with that times two, um, because that was the messaging. So like, if you're still have this wiring where you're like, well, I want to be this size or I want to be small. It's like, okay, well, let's just track that back to the society that has like manipulated us and brainwashed us to believe that there's only like one type of body and our life will be better if that body is smaller. Um, mm. so whenever I have, you know, and I'm trying to do a lot of unlearning and, and unworking these things, like following some amazing fat activists, like your fat friend, Aubrey Gordon, you know, I weigh, um, Stephanie Yaboa, like these awesome people who, you know, educate us on what's going on. Um, and also like on that note, like I believe that when you are an intuitive eater, your body will take its natural state. For me, I feel like the body I'm at is my natural state. I eat when I'm not hungry still. If I, you know, it looks good, it tastes good, I eat it. Do I binge? No. But like, this is how I need to eat to have good mental health and have peace with food. And this is my body. And I think for me, it's less about like how my body looks more. So I want peace up here. Like I want peace in my mind. And if my body needs to look a certain way or whatever, that's, that gives me the peace in my mind. That's worth it. In high school, I would have thought the current version of me needed to lose at least 15 pounds. Um, just cause you know, I thought thinner was better and yeah. I wanted to have abs that you could see even when I wasn't flexing, you know, all of those things. So that being said, I also want to recognize that I am in a body that like society does view as relatively attractive, relatively close to a beauty standard. Like I don't face the everyday societal oppression that other people in other bodies do because they don't fit into things or they can't shop in every store. So, you know, honestly, I think learning more about diet culture in general and, you know, the oppression of fat bodies and those things like has liberated me in caring so much about my appearance. Like, I think when you get onto the badass, like feminist empowerment movement of we are so much more than our bodies. Like, yeah, I have armpit hair. I have stretch marks. Like <laughs> right. there are also people who experience it way worse than me because of the way society discusses their body. You know, you just start to realize, oh my gosh, there's so much more than weighing a hundred pounds. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. What I wanted in high school, and I remember I read this in my book too. We were playing in the state championship. Soccer is the only thing I care about. I remember weighing myself that morning and that number wasn't low enough. And we won the state championship later that day. I made a, a penalty kick in the shootout. What I remember about that day was I, I weighed, I was like three pounds more than where I wanted to be. And the fact that I was even on the scale, the day of the state championship, like it's an obsession. And I guess I, I feel like after so many years, I dealt with anorexia, exercise, bulimia, bulimia to live. How I live now is such a drastic change for me that I'm like, you guys don't even, I wouldn't eat carrots at one point. Cause it was a starchy carbohydrate. Now I truly eat what I want all the time. I 
typically drink alcohol daily, which before it'd be like sugar and carbs. And I, I don't have the noise anymore, but I do happen to be in, in the best shape that I've been in, but it happened listening to my body. So I am happy about it, but I don't, I don't, uh, abuse my body or, or really even overthink it. You posted something with the bagel the other day. And it was like, how many calories are in this? I hate now that everywhere you go at the restaurants, I don't want to see, don't even like make me see the calories. Yeah. Like, why is that right? I don't want to think about it. I want to order what I want. I'm not like I used to be, but I'm learning that even though I'm way better than where I used to be, I'm not close to healed mentally. Right. Right. So, um, um, I, I think that's great that you can like draw back and be like, okay, am I absolutely perfect in the way I do or talk about these things now? No. And I'm not either. No one is perfect. Like, I don't think anyone, that's the thing. Perfection when it comes to food in our bodies, like doesn't really exist unless you were raised by like the best intuitive eating coaches in the world in a white box, like far, far away. Every one of us has embedded diet culture, like yeah. fat phobia. We all have those things. So, you know, you're killing it. I, I just don't want to be, thank you. I, like, triggering for someone that is those women that message me and they're like, Oh my God, I had a woman say, I didn't throw up today because of you. And I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to do, but I have to be careful because I don't want to say, say fat suit. Like I, why, I that just came out. I don't want to, I feel like I have a responsibility with a, a platform about, see, this is what it is. I should have called the book to the woman working out and not seeing results. Cause that's who I was talking to. But because I shared my story, it made it to the eating disorder community who, I mean, I just told you one of the things I, I had like reviews just getting torn apart that I shouldn't be talking about recovery. And I, I'm not a professional. And I'm like, but this is how I stopped doing it. And well, I think it's hilarious that people like to come. Okay. I'm torn because <sighs> Okay. Should I perform surgery on someone without a doctor's license or sorry, a doctor's license, without my <laughs> PhD or whatever? No, I shouldn't. But does Tony Robbins have credentials? No. Does Oprah have credentials? No. Do I could name a variety of experts. I mean, the woman who I credit my healthy relationship with Hutu is Janine Ross, Ross work. <laughs> yeah. Does she have credentials? No. So, I mean, like there are people who I think everyone needs to know their place. And I would never, if someone came to me with an eating disorder, I would never think I could coach them. Here's my number. Like, no, I, I know that I can't do that. I think there are people in the world who do step outside of what they're capable of. And there are people who listen to people that they shouldn't be listening to. However, I kind <laughs> of just hate the like, Oh, if you don't have the piece of paper, then I'm then like, you're not, you're wrong because I mean, I got a degree in journalism and there are people like, I, I know a lot about journalism, but there are journalists out there who were actors and they pivoted and they're amazing. Like it's different at a high level. I'm just saying yeah. experience sometimes goes a very, very long way. Yes. You've lived it. And like, it's so easy for me to open up and talk to you because I know that you get it. And I feel like sometimes like telling my story to someone that doesn't, or like a, a professional, like a, tr like somebody you're looking at that you can tell they probably have never struggled with an eating disorder. And it's just kind of like, and they're telling me well, about it. Professionals in the eating disorder, nutrition, dietitian space who are creating the problem. Like, I don't want to sound cocky, but like I, if you took an app, there are some amazing dietitians and nutritionists who are anti-diet and they're, they're great. However, there are also a lot who 
literally teach disordered eating habits. They bring you in, they weigh you, they say, you want to lose this many pounds. Let's bring you down to these many calories and they create the eating disorder. So it's like, when you look at someone like that, who's got the paper and the credentials, a lot of their education is embedded in diet culture and experts will say this now, you know, what they were taught in school to qualify or to get their certificate or their license, they disagree with now in their practice. So it's all fascinating. And I'm speaking specifically in the like eating disorder, you know, wellness space. Also, you know, I mean, I could go on tangent, but the criteria to check every box for having an eating disorder is extremely specific and can often isolate people who I would say have eating disorders, but maybe like they binged for four to five months, but the thing says six to seven. Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> whatever right it is. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, well, then what are you just screwed? You don't, you don't have an eating disorder. Like no one's going to care for you. You know, right. so the threshold between disordered eating, eating disorder, um, you know, there's, and there's so much to say also too, with like anxiety, like there are people who have actual anxiety disorder, like diagnosed. That's very different than when we all very candidly say, Oh my God, I have such bad anxiety about going to that event. Like you don't have anxiety. You feel anxious. That's a feeling. And so I like to be very cautious of the way I use these words so that we don't desensitize the meaning of them. Yes. The reason I asked you about therapy is like, I assumed obviously you have, because you're so healed. Like you're so just, you embrace your body now. And I was told also that if I go to the gym to strive for a physical ideal, then that's a problem. And I'm looking, thinking of like every woman that I know in my life that goes to the gym most days of the week is there to achieve a physical ideal. Do they all have eating disorders? Like, how do you diagnose someone? That's why they're going though. I mean, I think people shouldn't tell other people, you know, like, I, I don't think someone should tell you, you shouldn't go to the gym Cause like, that's your journey. And if you've healed enough and it does make you feel okay. And like, you do like to know how, you know, my mom, for example, she just grew up differently than me. She's had different food and body image problems than me. She cannot intuitively eat. She likes to plan what she's eating. She likes to know, do I think she has an eating disorder? No. Like, I think she actually has figured it out for herself and how she eats. I could not eat. It's got some toxic things in that for me, but she likes it. It genuinely works for her. She's happy. She does eat desserts and she lets herself when she wants it. But, but is she by the book, the epitome of what an intuitive eater is? No. So I think everyone's journey is different. And who are we to sit here and tell someone you shouldn't go to the gym and care about how you look? I mean, I mean, on paper, would I advise that for people? No, but if it works for you, then why would I tell you to do it differently? I think that's what it is. Like this balanced lifestyle, like squats and margaritas works for me. So I put it out there so that maybe it will help someone else that's struggling. This is how I came out of it. It may not be a professional view of recovery, but if this can help you, and I know that it helps people because they tell me, but then it's like, you're like, you said, they ask specific questions. I'm like, ah, like, what would you say about this? I'm like, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a, it, during the pandemic, I was like, we, the gyms are closed. Like I was putting my son on my back and like doing all these things. And I'm not a trainer. Like, why am I getting workouts? So like, I'm in my head too, about like, you can't tell people meal plans and workouts when you're not, but I'm just, I I'm so passionate about finding a thing, something that works for you and just 
taking like nurturing your body and listening to your body. Cause like you said, your body will tell you when it's hungry. It'll tell you when it's satisfied, it, you know what you need. And when you eat that way, your body will stay where it's supposed to be. And it took me 20 years to figure that out. And I just want to help somebody that's maybe 10 years back me who's on the treadmill seven days a week, only eats salads and is so frustrated just like to let go of that. Cause the other thing is why you're, you're, when you're living that way, you're full of stress, you're full of cortisol and your hormones are all off. You just have to take a breath, listen to what your body wants. And that is my message. And I feel like it's getting kind of pulled apart. <laughs> well, I will say that when approaching intuitive eating or mindful eating, the goal should never be like, my body is going to take its natural state. And like inside everyone's hoping that's smaller, like to really uh, embody and practice intuitive eating, you have to get, it's not about the body. It's not about weight loss. You're trying to work on your relationship with food. Like that is something that like, do I believe in a set point weight? Yes. But if you approach intuitive eating, thinking it's going to finally be the perfect diet to get your right. dream body, it's right. not going to work. And that's not the way to do it. You know, approaching intuitive eating, really, you have to get rid of this, this idea you need to lose weight, you need to change your body. And we're really just focusing on the, focusing on the relationship with food. You make me think too, like my language, I have a six-year-old daughter. Like, I don't want her to have one ounce of noise. Like, I, I don't want to scale in the house. Like my mom was always on diets, but like I said, like I was the only one, I think you have to be predisposed to it. Or do you know about like, I was the only one that struggled and my uh, three sisters were like, could have cared less. And they were in the same house with the same dieting diet culture, but I, I'm the one that just like took it to another level. <laughs> like, I, I literally today just released a podcast episode with Jennifer Anderson, who you should probably have on your show. She's amazing from kids eating color <gasps> on Instagram. I want her so bad. She, I, you know why she can't do it? Cause of my margaritas, they're like anti-drinking. And I was like, I will go on my Instagram so you can help me with my kids. Uh, like, and say, this episode is not brought to you by Inspiro Tequila. This, I will not drink for a week. I was like, whatever you need me to say, because I need her so bad for my kids. Cause they don't eat. But anyway, yes, I, I've tried. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't. She's, she's great. So when you brought up like, you know, making sure kids don't have any disordered eating habits or toxic, you know, yeah. traits, uh, I thought of her. Well, I, it's my drinking, <laughs> which I drink because I drink in moderation because what I used to do was eat clean all week and not drink. And then on the weekend you drink bo a bottle of wine and you go crazy. And then you're like hungover, then you eat bad. And if you just allow yourself to have wine or a margarita during the week, it's not as tempting or enticing or off limits. And when nothing is off limits, you don't stress out anymore. I don't know. I just have found a better way for me that I want to share. And I want to have conversations with people like you who I just, you're killing it. You're, you're vulnerable. You're authentic hashtag real posts. <laughs> like I, I frigging, and I've been trying to get you on here for so long. Like if someone is listening and is still kind of struggling, like just your advice to, I mean, I think January people are starting diets or dry January new year's resolution to lose weight. And it's like all these is there anything that's more like sustainable to just kind of get back to where you're happy with yourself and not restricting or depriving yourself? As much as I wish I could say, here is the secret thing. And once I say this and you understand it, boom, your life's going to be amazing. And you're going to love down. everything about food in your body. <laughs> yeah. um, sadly, no, I don't have that answer. No one does. But I will say 
you know, if I have one like piece of advice to leave people with, I think environment is huge. The people you surround yourself with in your life, the environment you live in online, who you follow, what you read. And it is the start of a new year. Like let's make some cuts and really create an environment around ourselves that is conducive to growth and to growth in the way that we want. And that's healthy for us. And that's inspiring us and educating us and, you know, giving us the tools. So go through your Instagram, you know, unfollow mute block accounts that are talking about dieting or posting toxic things. There are so many amazing people you can follow who are putting out information for free. They are providing you know, details on intuitive eating coaching. I mean, you can buy the intuitive eating book for $15, I think, you know, so I would just create an environment around you for success. However, that looks like for you and really be protective and fierce about that. I love it. And what's next for you uh, your wedding is coming up. Yes. My wedding we're, we're planning super exciting. So that's I definitely so ex- my 2022 highlight. Yes. And, um, when are you writing your book? Because you need to write a book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so funny. I, well, they take so freaking long. Like, yes. I feel like I need to wait till I'm like, I, I've been having some conversations to figure it out. Similarly, even I'm getting that. Well, why would people read your book? And what's the answer going to be? And who, what you know, the ex- hell ever? Everyone will but, read your book. <laughs> you and your um, tribe of girls. Like I've had Alex Austin, Ella Halikas, like, yes, I can't Ella. get to her. Her whole like body empowerment, self-love, like I have been trying to get that message on here for like a year. I don't think she sees me. Like, I want to be like, when I comment on something and she'll like, like a comment, I want to be like, wink twice. If you see me, <laughs> I need you. But like, she, I can't get to her. It's like, it took me six months to get to you. Um, I want to talk to her. your whole group. You're just like empowered, beautiful, strong women. And I guess that's what you're saying. Like that's who you surround yourself with and you just shine right. all of yeah, you. Environment is key. And especially by online as well. I mean, we have a lot of power with who we follow and what we subscribe to. So, and where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram at Victoria Garrick. Um, and I also have a podcast called real pod. So they can, if they're podcast listeners, they can stream that as well. And do you have any fun episodes coming out that are coming up? That I Well, the Jennifer Anderson episode, though, about how to raise intuitive eaters, to not pass down disordered eating habits to your kids um, and how to talk about food. And whether you have kids or you don't, we all have children in our life. And so, and I'm not having kids for a while, but I just, <laughs> I love this stuff and I'm a nerd and I want to, or I'm already thinking, how am I going to raise an intuitive eater? <laughs> That's all, You're going to be such a good mom. I love it. I'm going to listen to that right now. Thank you so much for making the time to do this. You're Thanks amazing. Thanks for having me, Erin. It was a amazing time and I loved getting to speak to you. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, 
my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.